0: Welcome to U News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Friday, February 21st, I'm Lorraine Cáceres. These are today's headlines. Election threat fallout reports that President Trump got rid of his director of national intelligence after intel officials warned lawmakers that Russia is interfering in the 2020 election caucus concerns officials in nevada prepare ahead of tomorrow's caucuses to prevent a repeat of what happened in iowa and a new phone scam targeting immigrants is causing fear and concern as con artists armed with their victims personal data are extracting thousands of dollars from them this and much more today on U news recorded live in our newsroom in miami We begin today with new controversy for the Trump administration. The president ousting the director of national intelligence after a briefing on Russia interference into the 2020 election, information that infuriated the president. Acting Rockwell Director career. of National Intelligence director Joseph McGuire Trump. is out of a job today, fired election. by President Trump upset over a briefing about Russia's meddling in the 2020 election. One official said that they, their intelligence is that Russia is interfering or attempting to interfere in the 2020 election with the goal of re-electing President Trump. Sources say the President believed Democrats would use the information from the briefing against him. The President furious because Adam Schiff so was the allowed to attend. The the moment last night during the a rally to attack him. That little Adam Schiff, what a crooked politician. He's a corrupt politician. Schiff, who led the impeachment proceedings against the, the president, president, is also head the of the House Intelligence caught. Committee. His presence at the briefing was not only necessary, but also required for national security purposes. A California Democrat reacting on Twitter saying, We count on the intelligence community to inform Congress of any threat of foreign interference in our elections. If reports are true and the president is interfering with that, he is again jeopardizing our efforts to stop foreign meddling. Exactly as we warned he would do. But the president insists Russia had nothing to do with him getting elected and refuses to believe 2020 will be any different.
1: You know who got me elected? I got me elected. Russia didn't help me at all. I call it the Russian hoax. It's a hoax.
0: Democrats now defending intelligence officials. To act like they did something that they stepped out of their lane and they did something that was totally inappropriate is wrong. That is their job. Meanwhile, the president has replaced McGuire with the ambassador to Germany, Richard Grenell, a Trump loyalist. In addition, Kash Patel, a former NSC official and author of a congressional report attempting to discredit the Russia investigation, has been elevated to a senior role under Grenell. Jason Klatenik and Andrew Hallman, two more top intelligence officials are also out of a job. And as for who is permanently going to replace McGuire, that question is still up in the air. Republican Congressman Doug Collins of Georgia says he's not interested in being the director of national intelligence. This after President Trump floated his name for the position. Collins says he's focusing on running for the U.S. Senate instead. And speaking of elections, we're one day away from the next votes in Nevada. Senator Bernie Sanders has a big lead in the polling average. Joe Biden comes in second, but we don't know the impact yet of the raucous debate from earlier this week. Mike Bloomberg not competing in the state, but facing questions about whether he can bounce back after the battle in Las Vegas. Paola Byron has the details.
2: After his Rocky debate debut, Michael Bloomberg is hoping what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. His team admits he took a beating, but he's still punching back.
3: If we choose a candidate who appeals to a small base like Senator Sanders, it will be a fatal error. We need Democrats and independents and Republicans to win.
2: But front runner Bernie Sanders is confident he's eyeing another win, and he's pushing back at the naysayers.
3: That this victory here is the beginning of the end for Donald Trump.
2: The candidates are eager to cash in on the momentum from that fiery debate. After she came out swinging at her rivals, Elizabeth Warren actually jumping for joy. But it's not clear if her strong performance will give her the bounce she needs.
0: Paula Byron, U News. And as Nevada Democrats prepare for Saturday's caucus, questions remain about whether the state can avoid a repeat of Iowa's debacle. David Romo has the details on the steps Nevada officials are taking ahead of the nation's second round of caucuses.
1: It looks like Nevada's first ever early voting in a caucus is paying off with huge numbers. But will it make getting results more complicated? The Nevada Democratic Party says nearly 75,000 participated in the first-ever early caucus, nearly the total number of voters in the 2016 caucus, when roughly 84,000 people participated. In 2008, 118,000 Nevadans caucused in the Democratic race. And while the party celebrated the high turnout, it adds to the uncertainty of whether Nevada is ready for Saturday or if it will be a repeat of the Iowa fiasco, where final results are still pending.
4: Our goal is to have a successful caucus. And uh, we, we provide multiple sets of eyes and ears and wisdom and observations and uh, lessons learned from Iowa so that uh, we can be successful here in uh,
1: Nevada. Volunteer Seth Morrison raised a red flag early in the training process. Now he's more optimistic, saying things are getting better, but worried about lingering issues.
4: One is we still don't know any details of the back office, of how all the early votes were tabulated, how this tool works. Second of all, there's a massive shortage of volunteers.
1: The Democrats are scrambling to train caucus volunteers, having added 55 additional training sessions. Volunteers can now also try out the much-talked-about caucus calculator, which Morrison says is user-friendly. The
4: tool is very well
1: designed. It's very
4: intuitive. But
1: he does see potential problems for people who aren't familiar with the iPads. Somebody who has not used that kind of technology would find it challenging. These slides replicate what CNN saw during a party-hosted demo of the calculator. They did not allow cameras to film the demo. The calculator will have a preloaded early vote information, which will be combined with the choices of the people there on Saturday to determine the winners and losers through two rounds of elimination. The backup, if the calculator doesn't work, and those early vote totals aren't available, is tedious. A little lengthy process of manually searching a paper list of early voters' ranked choices. Still, the chair of the Democratic National Committee says he believes everything will be smooth sailing come Saturday. I am very confident that we have thought of every contingency we have. Reporting by Diane Gallagher, David Romo, U News.
0: And President Trump wraps up his four-day tour of the West today with a campaign rally in Las Vegas this afternoon. The Las Vegas rally builds on previous efforts by the president and his campaign to divert attention from the Democratic race to replace him. After the rally, he'll return to the White House. This year, Latinos are expected to be the largest minority to vote in a presidential election in the U.S., surpassing African-Americans and Asians. Most of those eligible Latino voters live in states that will hold primaries on or before Super Tuesday, presumably shaping the outcome of the presidential race. With us to discuss the impact of the Latino vote in this election is Mark Hugo Lopez. He's with the Pew Research Center. Thanks for joining us, Mark. Thank you. Mark, first of all, 32 million Latinos are eligible to vote in this election. This is 13% of all eligible voters in total. With that information, how important is the Latino vote this year?
3: Well, it's been growing in importance for a number of years, simply because the number of Hispanics eligible to vote has been rising. The 32 million that are eligible to vote this year is up by about 4.5 million over 2016, for example. And most of that growth has come from young people who've turned 18. But because of the calendar for the Democrats and their presidential nomination process, uh, about 56 percent of Latino voters live in states that are going to have a Democratic primary or caucus on or before Super Tuesday. That positions Latinos into a a spot where they may influence the outcome of the nomination process for the Democrats. And it's important to note that most Latinos who are registered to vote uh, identify with the Democratic Party.
0: And given that influence, most eligible Latino voters live in these five states. Let's take a look, California, Texas, Florida, New York, and Arizona. But there's a wide range of backgrounds among these Latinos. When you look at state by state, what does this mean? for how they're gonna vote or what matters.
3: That's really an important point to make, which is that the Hispanic vote, when we talk about Latino voters, this is not a monolithic group, but a group that is diverse in many ways. And one of those key ways is the origins of Latinos. Where are they from? So, for example, in the case of California and Texas, most Hispanics there trace their roots to Mexico. But in the case of Florida, Mexicans are not the largest group among eligible voters. It's Cubans and Puerto Ricans. And plus, there are large populations of Colombians and Dominicans uh, and Nicaraguans all eligible to vote. That's what makes Florida so unique and different, at least in terms of origins, compared to California and Texas. On top of that, not all Latinos lean towards or identify with the Democratic Party. In fact, about 30 percent of Hispanic-registered voters say they're Republicans, and that's particularly the case in a state like Florida.
0: And to that point, what are some of the issues that matter to Latinos? There's an assumption that Latinos only care about immigration, which is not true.
3: Well, immigration does matter more among Latinos than it does say with the general U.S. public. But we've also seen that, for example, Latinos overwhelmingly support raising the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour. They also say that the government should have a much bigger role in health care provision, and they want stricter gun control laws. And that's quite a wide variety of issues, but all of them point to generally a greater amount of interest on the part of Latinos for government to play a bigger role in shaping policy. And that's something that's been true for a number of years. But Again, all of these are issues other than immigration. And I think it's important to note that issues can vary across states as well.
0: And now to the most important question. How politically engaged are Latinos in this election cycle?
3: Latinos, uh, particularly Democrats, are happy with the candidates who are running for office. More than two-thirds of Hispanics who are registered to vote with the Democratic Party say that they uh, like the candidates this year. But it's also interesting that when we asked in December whether or not Latinos knew when their state's primary or caucus was going to happen, we found that 75 percent of Hispanic Democrats didn't know when their uh, state's caucus or primary was going to occur. Now that's perhaps not surprising. In December, we were still a few months away from many primaries and Caucuses, and it's true for the general public overall. But traditionally, Latinos have voted at lower rates than other groups of Americans. So while there may be more Latinos eligible to vote than African-Americans this year, it remains to be seen whether or not Latinos will turn out at a higher rate than their African-American counterparts.
0: Well, we'll definitely be watching closely. Thank you so much. Mark Hugo Lopez from the Pew Research Center. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Now to the latest on the coronavirus emergency. The U.S. has released more than 100 travelers who had been quarantined for two weeks at military bases here in the States. As the number of worldwide cases now approaches 77,000, Turkey has refused to let a charter flight carrying 283 evacuees, including some U.S. citizens, land in Istanbul. Carolina Sarasa has the latest.
4: Panic and protests in Ukraine as it brings its citizens home from China. A false rumor that five of those who returned were infected with the virus sparked violent clashes with police, a sign of the spreading global fear around COVID-19. And overnight, a flight carrying 268 people from the Westerdam cruise ship turned away from landing in Turkey, the flight carrying several Americans forced to land in Amsterdam even though passengers have been cleared of the disease. This as more passengers disembark from the other cruise liner, the Diamond Princess in Japan. Japanese officials confirming the total positive cases of COVID-19 aboard the ship, now more than 630 passengers. Some health experts calling the quarantine on board a debacle after officials appeared to fail to halt the spread of the potentially deadly disease. I just think there was
5: so much cross-contamination.
4: More than 70 Americans were infected with the virus on the ship, amongst them John Hearing. He's still in Japan and doesn't know when he will get to come home.
3: Yeah, I feel very alone and I feel like I'm not represented.
4: John and his wife Melanie of Utah were both on board the Diamond Princess, but after John came down with the virus, he was taken off last week and to a hospital.
3: Someone called, said, we're going to come take you to hospital," but uh, 15 minutes later they showed up at the door and uh, said, "Pack my bag."
4: The couple making the difficult decision to have Melanie leave her husband in Japan and evacuate along with over 300 other Americans. She's now frustrated by what she says is a lack of information from the U.S. Embassy.
3: So I'm standing up and I'm going to wave my arm and I'm going to keep waving my arm until someone contacts us.
4: And this morning in South Korea, cases of coronavirus increasing in the last three days with 204 now infected. Carolina Sarasa, U News.
0: Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has announced the U.S. has made a deal with the Taliban to reduce violence in Afghanistan for seven days. It's set to begin tonight, local time. The U.S. is aiming for a peace deal to help execute President Trump's desire to withdraw U.S. troops from Afghanistan. The first step is to is expected to reduce their current level of troops from 12 or 13,000 to 8,600. Officials have stressed that such a reduction would quote uh, place conditions are, are based on conditions and Pompeo says the U.S. is preparing for the signing of a U.S. Taliban agreement on February 29th. President Trump's latest travel ban goes into effect today. Immigrants from countries including Myanmar, Eritrea, Kyrgyzstan, Nigeria, Sudan and Tanzania are now barred from entering the U.S. The administration says the six Asian and African countries have deficiencies in sharing terrorist, criminal or identity information. Acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney said at a private event in England Wednesday. The U.S. is, quote, desperate for more legal immigrants to help grow the economy. That's according to audio of his comments obtained by The Washington Post. The comments seem to put Mulvaney at odds with a number of administration officials, such as the White House advisor Stephen Miller, who has advocated for severe restrictions on both legal and illegal immigrants. A new phone scam is causing confusion and fear among immigrant households across the country. The con artists have detailed personal information about their targets. Claudia Uceda explains.
5: A few days ago, when the phone ran for this immigrant, he had no idea what he was about to hear.
0: It
5: was the voice of a man who said he was from ICE. He identified himself as Officer Alex Perez. He said there was a lawsuit and gave him a number to
0: call.
5: He called his lawyer so he didn't give them any chance to ask for money. This other immigrant was also surprised by another strange call.
1: que Recibió una llamada de acá de Estados Unidos, de un supuesto oficial de inmigración, pidiendo información, datos de un familiar que está detenido en centro de detención.
5: His sister didn't give out any personal information but asked questions. Both immigrants suffered the trauma of being separated from their children at the border and both are in the process of being granted asylum, so we will not give their names for fear of reprisal.
0: Phone
5: scams, in general, are increasing nationally. What is curious about these immigrants' cases is that the scammers are specific. We don't understand how these scammers have such personal information. They have a specific information related to their immigration cases, such as the name of the people who received them here or the fact that they were detained, she said. And their recommendation is that as soon as you receive one of these calls, you should report it to the Federal Trade Commission, which has a website in Spanish. How do con artists get this data? Nobody knows. Nor it is known how the government is protecting the personal information of immigrants. In Washington, Claudio Seda, U News.
0: And federal authorities are putting growing pressure on the state of New York to share information about undocumented immigrants who apply for a driver's license. ICE's interim director was met with protests while arguing protecting the identity of undocumented immigrants endangers the lives of border agents. Fabiola Galindo explains.
2: ICE IS NOT WELCOME HERE! Hecklers, shouting and even slamming on windows, rallied outside the Resenler County Sheriff's Office in New York State, protesting the visit of acting ICE director Matthew Albans.
3: I was informed that
2: this... The banging on the windows was heard inside the premises, interrupting Albans' press conference. We'll
1: just pause for one minute until we get done.
2: But Albence's tone was louder. I don't need the state of New York to do my job for me nor do we want them to,
5: quite the contrary. All we want and what we need is access to the same information that we get from every other state.
2: He demanded the state of New York to make available the database that archives the information of hundreds of undocumented immigrants after the state passed its green light law, allowing undocumented people to apply for a driver's license. It's political extortion what they're doing. Governor Andrew Cuomo once again denying the request after just last week he met with President Trump to discuss a truce. The federal government had suspended New Yorkers access to the global entry program, arguing that ICE needs the information from the State Department of Motor Vehicles to approve applicants. Even though undocumented migrants can't even get global entry, the information still has not been shared shared.
3: Because when you apply,
2: you either have to show that you have a social security number or you don't. It, it, like It's no longer part of the uh, of the application. And so they would be able to, if, if they have unfettered access, to be able to tell who is undocumented and who's not. But we're not going to give them access because we're not here to facilitate ICE's uh, job of deporting families. We're here to protect our community and that's what we're going to do.
5: It's going to get ICE and CBP officers hurt and it's going to make all of our enforcement efforts far less effective.
2: Albans says Border Patrol agents' lives are at risk, but for families like Carmen Cruz, whose son was shot in the face by an ICE agent, the danger is real. I want justice for my son. I want a fair investigation because we were treated like criminals when we are the victims. She filed a lawsuit against ICE, but the agency does not comment on pending litigation. New York authorities are asking the public to remain calm. They say there are no current lawsuits that would demand the state to share the private information of those who solicit a driver's license. Those licenses will continue to be issued to people with no social security number. In New York, Fabiola Galindo, you
0: News. Today's Doodle celebrates the 91st birthday of the iconic Mexican comedian, entertainer, writer, composer, television director and producer, Chespirito. He is best known for creating and starring in some of the most beloved television series in Mexican history. Gracias Roberto Gomez Bolaños for all those laughs. More of you news after this short break. Welcome back to U News. New developments in the tragic story we've been following in Mexico. Authorities have detained two suspects arrested for the brutal killing of a seven-year-old girl. It was the aunt of one of the suspects who turned them over after seeing on television what they had been accused of doing. Nidia Cavazos has more.
6: Just yesterday, I realized that it was them. That's the indignation and pain of this woman who found out what one of her relatives had been accused of doing to little Fatima. She then turned them into to the authorities. Help me, call the police. We need to hand Mario and Giovanna in. They are on TV. They were the ones that raped and killed the girl. She is the aunt of Mario Alberto, who was arrested along with Giovanna yesterday night for killing little Fatima. Irma says that they arrived late Sunday at her house with their three children and asked her for help and to stay for a few days. When she found out about the crime, she confronted them, and the couple's reaction surprised her. She was terrified. I don't believe she was sorry, but terrified. My nephew, who was in blood, he was scared. She forced the couple out of her house, assuring them that she would only give up Joanna to the police. But when they arrived at the police station, everything changed. I stopped him because he was ready to run away, and I grabbed him and told him, No, you also are going to pay for this. He said, Aunt, why did you do this to me? She says that she did it because she thought all of the children in the world, and not because of the reward offered by the authorities did you know there was a reward no never never i didn't even think about it i don't even know do you think about it now no these are images from the operation here we can see one of the detainees already in custody
5: and once we get the arrest orders they will be
6: moved to mexico city the couple offered money to the officers and they didn't accept it Thanks to that and to the courage of the woman who turned them in, justice will be done. Irma feels sorry for what happened, for her family and little Fatima's family. We have to confront our mistakes and their consequences, the bad decisions, and I ask him to forgive me. In Mexico City, Ivan Macias, for U News, this is Nidia Cavazos.
0: Authorities in the northern Mexican city of Saltillo have reportedly ordered the removal of a mural that seeks to uh, raise awareness on the wave of femicides that have shocked the nation. The mural features the images of three victims of gender-based violence and messages calling for justice. Jackie Campbell decided to put the mural on her home in protest of the continued killing of women in Mexico. She has received notice to remove the mural due to the historical significance of her building to downtown Saltillo. In Venezuela, authorities have raided the home of the interim president's uncle, Juan Jose Márquez, who is Juan Guaidó's uncle, was detained a week after his arrival at Caracas International Airport. He was traveling with Guaidó as part of the opposition leader's international tour, which included a meeting with President Trump in Washington. Nicolás Maduro's government says Márquez was detained for carrying dangerous materials. Thousands of Colombian public school teachers are on strike as part of a two-day nationwide protest the protest was initiated by the Colombian Teachers' Federation to denounce the murder of 14 of their colleagues and threats made to 900 other teachers in 2019. More than 1,000 teachers have been killed in the last three decades, according to the teachers' union. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate and review. Join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.